0: I shared um, a little bit previously about the 10 Days Vision and how God encountered me with this phrase, um, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before I return in this call to mourning. Um, and um, how God is looking for his people to mourn before he returns. Um, and you can see this um, theme related to mourning not just in Revelation chapter 18, which is a reference um, that I, that, that kind of what the Lord was referencing in that phrase, my people will mourn before I return and Babylon refuses to mourn. But you also see it, um, you know, right at the beginning of Revelation, it talks about how all the the nations will mourn when the, when the Lord comes. You see it in reference to uh, the return of the Lord in Zechariah 12, uh, speaking about the Jewish people, how they will mourn, they'll behold the one whom they've pierced. Um, and mourn as for an only child you see it in um the sermon on the mount where um you know jesus says those who mourn will be comforted that that the eschatological the eschatological or the end time manifestation of mourning being comforted is having the lord return Um, and then you see it again in matthew 9 um where there's just this um declaration jesus saying that um the friends of the bridegroom can't mourn or can't fast while he's with them. But then when he's taken away, there's going to be this longing um, that happens. So this calling is about mourning. And um, I had to really figure out what this meant. A lot of times when God gives us things, um, you know, the scripture says it's the glory of God to conceal something, but it's the glory of kings to seek it out. So a lot of times when God gives us a revelation, he doesn't give it to us in its full form. He rather is inviting us into an exploration. And so when I first had this experience and the sense of calling to invite people to mourn, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't find it particularly attractive. In fact, quite the opposite. I was like, this is awful. Um, (laughs) I can't say how many times I've, I've kind of cast vision for 10 days to people, friends even and had them say, you know, we love the unity, we love that, can we get rid of the mourning part? Can we just get rid of that part? And I'm thinking, like, I wish we could get rid of it. It's not really up to me, though. I'm trying to be faithful to something I've been entrusted with. And then there's just this dimension of mourning that's related to heaviness. Um, I think early on in trying to do this, um, at times, it was like an experiment. We're like, trying to figure out, okay, how do we mourn what is the expression of mourning that God is after from us as his people trying to be obedient to this word. And at times in our early attempts, we got into what I would call heaviness, where it's like more of like this very burdened intercessory thing um, that really may not even be from the Lord. It may actually be kind of like an almost a demonic weight where we're taking on a weight that doesn't really belong to us. And um, anyway, all to say, after Trying this thing out for about five years, um, we developed this teaching on morning that has, we've, we've updated, modified at various times, but it felt it felt like, oh, okay, we're finally starting to get it. Like this really gets at what the Lord is after. And it, it started to resonate. And we just experientially, as we would pray through these things, we would really see great fruit come out of it. Um, You know, in some of our early gatherings, sometimes we'd have people say, you know, it was like a long solemn assembly. I felt really depressed. It's like, yeah, you know, the goal of 10 days isn't to emerge feeling really depressed. Um, But there is a biblical kind of mourning that Paul says, um, you know, is, is like a godly sorrow that it doesn't lead to more sorrow. It leads to joy. Right. I like to say joy comes in the morning. So the kind of morning that we want to enter into in 10 days is going to be um, a kind of morning that brings about joy. Um, so I'm just going to see if I can figure out how to use Zoom. Scroll down a little bit. Anyway, I don't know. Um, I'm just going to share a little bit about morning and then get into the different elements related to it here. I'm just going to stop sharing for now. Um, I'll give you access to this document later, but it'll just be easier for me. Um, So, the first thing about mourning is we think about God's invitation into a 10 day period of mourning, into a period of mourning. What is mourning about? Fundamentally, mourning is about what we do not have and what we lack or what we've lost. Um, So, it's about what we lack, what we lost, what we don't have. and the cool thing about heaven's economy and the way the kingdom of God works is that when we acknowledge and recognize what we're lacking, what we're missing, what we've lost, it actually, in God's way of doing things, positions us to receive those very things. So, we're, in other words, we're setting ourselves up for answered prayer, just to put it in another way. So, when we voluntarily enter into mourning, we're positioning ourselves to receive the very things that we're missing the very things that we're lacking from the lord it's a it's a biblical principle um that's just incredible um think about the church in laodicea like jesus's contention and his problem with them is that they think they're rich they think they're all these things but they're actually the opposite and if they would recognize their poverty then they could buy from him and receive that gold refined in the fire. And so 10 days is a time to just come in and say, look, we acknowledge our poverty. Um, and now could we get some of this refined gold? So we're not pretending like we've got it all together. Um, rather, we're acknowledging and even, even just searching out, even just saying to the Lord, like, look, Lord, I don't even see all the places where I'm poor. But could you show me? Could you reveal even hidden faults to me? Um, so mourning is also about humility. When I think of the word mourning, if there was another word I could use, um, to describe it and what God is after in these 10 days, a time of mourning, he's looking for humility. Um, if you would like to be opposed by God, it's very easy and it's just to operate in pride. Anytime you operate in pride, you're automatically attracting the opposition of God, um, And on the flip side, if you'd like to receive grace from God, like doesn't matter anything else, if you if you can operate in humility, he will give you grace. It's it's a spiritual principle. It's a promise in the word. God gives grace to the humble. So in 10 days, we're entering into mourning and into humility in multiple ways. It's in different ways. We're fasting. Fasting is physically a form of prayer where we humble ourselves because we're embracing weakness voluntarily in our bodies uh, prayer and worship are ways of humbling ourselves right when i'm worshiping god and exalting him and declaring my <laughs> my dependence on him that's an expression of humility um, confession of sin right few things are more humbling than confessing our sins um, when we repent and turn towards god we're confessing once again our need of god when we unite with other believers we're confessing our need for one another which is a form of humility right Like, if I come to you and I'm like, I don't really need you, um, or I just ignore you, obviously that might be pride. But if I come to you and I say, you know what, I need what you're carrying. Like, you know, I honor you above myself. Now that's humility. And that attracts the presence of God. Um, And this is maybe one of the biggest ways we humble ourselves when we stop our normal activity. I don't know about you. I'm a typical American. I love to work. I love to be active. I love to get things done. And uh, one of the hardest things about this journey for me has been learning how to rest and just how to wait on the Lord. So when we abstain from our own activity, that's a form of humbling ourselves, um, like doing the Sabbath day. And then it attracts the grace and the presence of God. Um, it's also, you know, once we learn how to do it, it's also very enjoyable and a great honor to do that. Um, it's like a royal uh, honor to be able to rest, but it's also a humble thing. Um So when we come into these low places of mourning, we open wide an avenue for the grace of God to flow. Now I want to teach you a principle here too um, about humility. So we've already established that God gives grace to the humble and the, the grace of God, which is the power of God to do and accomplish. It's his favor. It's his face. It's, you know, all the goodness of God comes through his grace. Right? So like this humility thing is a really big deal because I don't know about you. I don't want to be opposed by God. I would rather that he give grace to me. I'd rather his favor be on me. So when a person humbles themselves, it attracts the grace of God to them. When a family humbles themselves or is humbled, it attracts the grace of God. So when a city does it together, guess what? It attracts the grace of God to the city. So whatever level that's happening, that's the level where the grace of God is being attracted So if we could see whole cities stop everything to humble themselves before God, to mourn, to seek God's face, to do the Nineveh thing, we would see the grace of God consequently poured out on that city. I like to use this analogy. It's like a low pressure system in um, meteorology, right? If there's a low pressure system in an area, it's going to attract rain. And if there's a low pressure system of people humbling themselves in a city, it's going to attract the grace of God. So that's another dimension of mourning. Um, Mourning is about humility. A a third dimension that I think is really important is mourning is about desire, longing, Um, this like heart level thing, right? When someone is in mourning, maybe a loved one has has been lost. Like you can tell there is an intense agony and desire that's connected to that mourning, right? So mourning is about... The desires of our heart so as we come into this place of humbling ourselves before god during the 10 days we're looking for god to unlock and awaken desires in our heart which is actually a key to answered prayer um john 15 7 shows us that when we abide in jesus and his words abide in us the desires that come out of our heart and the prayers that come out of our hearts. He says, whatever you desire in that place, I will do it. So it's, it's a blank check for answered prayer, but the only thing is you have to abide in Jesus. His words have to abide in you and then you have to really want it. (laughs) Those are three conditions, whatever, but it's whatever you desire in that place. Like guys, this is like, to me, when I, when I read that scripture, I feel like I'm reading, I feel like one of those scientists who discovered like nuclear energy, you know, they're like, oh, my goodness, in every atom, there's all this energy that could be released. And when I read that scripture, I'm thinking to myself, wow, if I could just abide in Jesus, his words abide in me, I could ask for anything that I actually want. Um, so as we abide in him, his words abide in us, it's going to create these holy desires in us this morning, this longing that's going to result in answered prayer. That's answered like every time it's a blank. It's a prayer blank check. If we can, if we can meet the conditions that are revealed there, it's pretty awesome. Um, also, I think it taps into why we don't see answered prayer. Sometimes if you're prayed for something. It's like, I think I should want this, but you don't really want it. You know, like thinking, knowing you should want it with your mind, thinking it. That's one thing. Um, We're just praying out of, wow, it'd be nice if this, it'd be nice if that. But when we actually really want something and that desire comes out of abiding in Jesus and his word, then we see it answered. That's how it works. That's how God has designed prayer to work. Um, So beautiful, beautiful promise of the Lord. I'm just going to. So this is just establishing the case for mourning. Okay. I want everybody to, you know, 10 days of mourning. Right. This doesn't sound like that much fun. Doesn't sound like a good time. But what I want to make the case for is that this is actually something God wants, and it's actually a key to seeing the kingdom come. So by voluntarily, by going against Babylon, right? Babylon is refusing to mourn. Babylon sees this idea, and Babylon is like, no, I will take a hard pass on that. But God's people are saying, you know what? No, we're going to voluntarily embrace mourning. We're going to voluntarily embrace humility. We're going to voluntarily embrace acknowledging our lack and our loss before the lord uh, because we have a hope and an expectation that jesus is coming amen all right so there's three elements or three aspects to this morning that i want to just talk about briefly uh, one is personal okay so there's a personal element to the morning There's an an intercessory element where we're mourning on behalf of others and and mourning for God's purposes. And then there's an element that's related to the Lord's return. Um, So first of all, this is a time personally to be transformed. Um, Repentance is an amazing biblical concept. I want to constantly live in repentance because every time I repent, I'm losing something that is destroying my life and I'm becoming more like Christ and I'm coming closer to God. I'm like, who doesn't want repentance, right? But it has a bad reputation. Repentance is you know, the same thing that the Bible talks about, about being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. I think sometimes we don't like repentance because we've only seen essentially like a very fleshly version of repentance. But true repentance is us coming into a transforming experience of being like Jesus and and being joined to him in oneness. Um, So 10 days is a time for repentance. It's a time for personal mourning where we turn away from uh, patterns, attitudes, mindsets. A lot of it is mental. A lot of it is a lot of the transformation takes place in our mind uh, as we um, come away from these things and embrace Um, the mind of Christ and come into the mind of Christ. For this personal transformation to take place, you don't have to necessarily, it doesn't have to be this laborious thing of going through your life. And I mean, certainly that can happen. And if there are things in your life, you know, you need to repent of or confess, obviously do that. But it's often just positioning ourselves before the Lord, waiting upon him, and then just allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us through this process, um, one majorly important area of repentance during Ten Days to mention is our relationships with one another, and Gaylord really brought this up uh, strongly in his in our in his opening message. So Ten Days is a time not just to get right with God; it's a time to get right with each other. Scripture clearly teaches, like, if you have something against your brother and you're at the altar, go to your brother. Right. So this is definitely a time for that, um, but. You know, what's amazing is in just a simple strategy, take 10 days, give yourself time to wait upon the Lord and don't you just come before him is that it actually really works. Like the Holy Spirit is really a good teacher. And if we will do this, just take these extended seasons to wait upon the Lord. We are going to see personal transformation. You're going to see the release of callings and assignments within you um, and within others begin to come forth. Um, and what's most exciting, um, about it is it's going to be people you don't expect. Like you're going to see people just come alive where you're like, "Whoa, I didn't see that potential in them, but then, you know, hanging out with Jesus, like it just really starts to happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, ultimately the personal element is the foundational element. Um, the personal transformation of individuals in the body of Christ is the foundation on which everything else has to be built. Before we wanna see cities transform, we've gotta see people transform. So one of our main points in doing 10 days is God, I want to be transformed and changed. And it actually happens through the power of the Holy Spirit through abiding in Jesus and allowing his words to abide in us. A second element though is 10 days is a time to be like Daniel in Daniel nine. In Daniel nine, our brother, recognizes that the time has come for um for Jerusalem to be reestablished he's reading the prophet jeremiah and he realizes this and what does daniel do in daniel chapter 9 he um goes home he makes himself dinner um he's like god you totally got this it's all good he turns on the tv um just enjoys kind of a nice relaxing evening in babylon no he recognizes this and what does he do he he enters into intercessory mourning and prayer and fasting so why does he do that it's because daniel understood how god works and how god's promises work that god loves to partner with us and so he partnered with the scripture partnered with the word of god as an intercessor and saw the fulfillment and the answer to his prayer So when we read the scriptures and we see promises from God that are unfulfilled, I believe we're supposed to be like Daniel and to enter into this intercessory morning where we will see these promises fulfilled. Now, there's four big promises that we focus on within 10 days, Uh, four big intercessory goals. Uh, Jason hit on one, um, the gospel going to every nation, the gospel being preached to every nation. Uh, Another one is this John 17 unity that Jesus' prayer in John 17 would be fulfilled. A third is that there'd be a global outpouring of the Holy Spirit in response to Joel 2, 28. Obviously, that started in Acts 2, but we believe there's God has more of that for us before he returns. And then promise 4 is that there would be salvation among the Jewish people, that Israel would be saved in accordance with Romans 11, 12, and 15, So during 10 days, we're laying hold of those promises. Now, I want to just point out, like, we are really focused on biblical promises. That doesn't mean we can't pray for things that are going on. We can't pray for elections. We can't pray for uh, personal issues. We can't pray for all of these things. We can pray for all of those things during 10 days. 10 days is a long time. It just means we're really focused intentionally on what the word reveals, um, which I think is our right focus. Also... You know, we don't want to just be constantly blown here and there by everything that's happening outside. We want to really ground ourselves on heaven's perspective and what the word has revealed um, is important to God, right? (laughs) So that God doesn't care who gets elected in the United States or in your nation or whatever. He does care. It's just that those things are temporary. We want to be praying around things we know are eternal themes. Okay, finally, and perhaps most importantly, and I'm running out of time. I'm just going to cover this really quickly. A major purpose of 10 days is longing for or mourning for the Lord's return. Um, That is a major focus, maybe our most, our biggest focus during these times. Um, We're a unity movement, but we're also a movement that's focused on the Lord's return. Sometimes those two things don't go together. But I think they really do. I think all believers are united in a belief that Jesus is coming again. Um, And what's beautiful and what a lot of times we don't understand as believers is that the Father actually wants us to ask him to send Jesus. So the Father wants us to ask him to send Jesus. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we can pray and see that fulfilled in a measure. Now we heard about a woman earlier being healed on, on one of these calls. It's awesome. It's the kingdom coming now, but when will that be fully answered? When will his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in fullness? It'll be at the Lord's return. Think about the last prayer in the Bible. What's the last prayer in the Bible? Come Lord Jesus, right? It's not a dinner prayer. I promise it's a prayer for the, the, the supper of the lamb, right? <laughs> the wedding feast to come. And so 10 days is a time to long for and ask for the Lord's return. That's the morning that he's after. is a bride that is um, fully desirous of union with him, that is longing to see him, that is saying, it is not enough what we have right now. Jesus, we need you here now. Um, I don't have enough time to talk about this in depth, but this desire for the Lord's return is all throughout the New Testament. I, I just challenge you to read any epistle, any, any book in the whole New Testament and not see this expressed. Just a few passages. I'm just going to give you a few quick Bible passages on Jesus coming back and our role in longing for and desiring and praying for and asking the Father to send Jesus. Um, Matthew 9, 15, I already referenced that when, when, when he's taken away, they will fast. They'll long for his coming with fasting. Uh, Romans 8, 23 and 24. We learn that the spirit has been given us as a guarantee, as a down payment, as a deposit. But that same spirit that we have is then longing for, groaning for the culmination. So this it's better for us that Jesus went away and send us a spirit, but the spirit in us is longing for his second coming and his return with this groan um, that, we're, that we partner with. Uh, Romans 8.25, we're eagerly waiting. We're not just waiting, right? We're eagerly waiting. We're not just killing time. We're longing for that eager waiting is like waiting with desire. Um, that's what we do during 10 days. Um, longing for and hastening the day. 2 Peter 3.12, watching and praying. Matthew 25.13 and then making ready and preparing. Revelation nineteen seven and Ephesians 5, 27. So 10 days is a time. I'm just going to summarize these points again. 10 days is about mourning. It's a time to mourn. It's a time to enter into mourning. That doesn't sound attractive. But this is um, just a veil that God's thrown over this thing. Um, <laughs> maybe to keep some people out. Maybe to just force us to dig a little deeper. This morning looks like humility. It looks like desire. It looks like acknowledging what we're missing. And it has these different elements. It has a personal aspect where we're longing to be transformed. And God is actually moving and changing us where we're repenting. It has an intercessory aspect where we're praying for these promises that God has made to be fulfilled and answered and really longing for the things God longs to happen. And then it has finally a a third element, an eschatological element of longing for the Lord's return. And that's really the biggest part of it. As I mentioned earlier, the timing of these feasts, their symbolism, their significance, um, these days of awe is in reference. They're prophetically pointing to the Lord's return. So this time is deliberately chosen. um, Ten days, like the ten days in the upper room that which we're in right now. But this is deliberately chosen as a time to just cry out to the Lord and ask him to send Jesus, to send Jesus, that all things would be restored at his coming. Father, I just thank you. Lord, I I, uh, just pray, Lord, that we would be stirred with holy desire. Lord, we pray you'd give us grace to call your people, Lord, into seasons of mourning, seasons of longing for your coming. Lord, seasons of crying out for your purposes to be fulfilled and seasons of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.